to some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters. I'm Shah, Ollie's abandoned me, so I'm Creeping It in the Family, a podcast where we dish details about all things horror. Right, episode 63. So I feel really weird at the minute because I'm just talking to myself. Actually, I'm not. I'm going to stare at my cat and I'm going to be like, yeah, cat, this is what's going on. So this week, Oliver's gone camping and we usually do a horror episode each week and I didn't want to leave you all hanging and have nothing. So I thought it would be a good idea if I did a little side episode. Now, I was really stuck on what to do, but on the Oliver's side episode, he mentioned that I've got a Scream concept. So over COVID last year, I started writing a my version of Scream 5 in prose form. So I didn't do it in script form. And uh, Oliver asked if I'd share it with you all. And I thought that'd be a really good recording episode if I did a few chapters from it. And so I'm going to have a go at that today. A few of you said you wanted to hear it and we'll see how we go. But this, you know, if you're wondering why the recording audio sounds so horrible, I am doing it from my phone because I'm poor and can't afford a MacBook, but Oliver can and he's taking it with him camping. So it's just me and my iPhone and my cat and we'll go from there. So this story is on Wattpad. It's called From Death Itself. And you're more than welcome to have a look and continue. I'm not going to read the full thing today because I think I think there's 13 chapters. Yeah, there's 13 chapters. So it's quite a lot and there's quite a lot of words in each chapter. But I will maybe read the first five and we'll see how we go from there. So from Death Itself, chapter one, A Rude Awakening. It was much too bright and her hand felt clammy. Slowly inhaling as if breathing a new life into her body, Kirby fought with all her might to achieve the small triumph in allowing her eyes to flicker. She didn't think it would ever be such a massive deal to simply open her eyes, something she had taken for granted when her alarm would wake her every morning. The blaring hospital lights caused her nose to scrunch in distaste and her hand twitched slightly, seemingly stirring the person whose hand was grasped around her own. The soft weight felt familiar, strange and comforting all at the same time and through her dazed, sleepy blurriness, Kirby could just about make out the outline of a feminine figure. She had a head of dark hair, and her hand was so, so warm. She didn't want to let go. Mom? Sydney had just allowed herself the small mercy of allowing sleep to infiltrate her system. It was silly, really, but as soon as she had been able to heal and question whether anyone had survived the latest Woodsboro massacre, she had felt a weight lifted when Dewey had confirmed that Kirby had survived. She had recalled the frantic events of the evening that had taken place almost a month ago to this very date. Hidden in the basement, trying to stay away from the masked figure that had pursued her through the house, she had stood with Kirby and tried to keep her quiet, keep her safe. Trust had never been Sydney's strong point. Trust let her down. Trust had made her weak and she couldn't be that person anymore. However, Looking into the young blonde woman's eyes, she had been startled to see just how much she saw herself within Kirby. Sydney had trusted her immediately, but then she had left Kirby for dead, and it had stuck with her. In her novel, she had spoken of survivor's guilt within the first couple of years, 
So many of her friends and loved ones had ended up dead because they were used as pawns to get her. Tatum, Randy, Haley, Derek, Kate, even a brief romance with Kincaid had died because of her issues. Of course, he hadn't blamed her for what became of them. He was a gentleman, even when she was screaming at him and pushing him away. But pushing away was easier than having to watch him carted off in a body bag. But she'd come out of that, or at least she thought she had. As soon as she had heard that Kirby had indeed survived her stabbing, Sydney's goal was to recover. She rested, took it easy, took her medication, even at her lowest point when it would have been so easy to crawl back into the shell she had built up, protecting herself and everyone else from an untimely fate. She had entertained Dewey and Gail, smiled and embraced them. She kept a straight face and waited until she could walk, and when she could, she was by Kirby's side. It sounded ridiculous, really. Sydney had been aware of that, of course. She was of no real relation to Kirby. She, was, she wasn't even what one might regard as a friend. But that night in the basement, those few moments shared, was something that only the two of them would ever know. The infinite trust, the reliance they had to have on each other. Kirby was the first person who had never really let her down. So she tried to help. Sydney read news articles, making sure to definitely leave out the majority that explored the horror of that night. Kirby's phone had been returned to her, screen smashed but still working, and Sydney had played some of her favourite music to try and rouse her. Small talk about the weather and idle chat about favourite foods and celebrities was pointless, but at least she felt like she was doing something. Two weeks of this and all she had received was the slight twitch of a hand or the flicker of an eyelid. Sydney was not stupid and she knew that they were simply reactions of being placed in a coma. But in her mind, Kirby Reed was a survivor, and she wasn't, able, she wasn't about to let, leave her in the hospital by herself. She had been the one to let Kirby down that night, but she wasn't about to let her down again. But recovery was recovery, and Sydney's body was still trying to repair itself from surprisingly similar wounds to Kirby's, and she had succumbed to sleep for only a few moments when she felt the twitch of Kirby's hand. It wasn't unusual. Mom? Sydney's bewilderment was quickly replaced with sheer relief at the sound of Kirby's voice. It was croaky, disoriented and confused, but it was her voice nonetheless. Her heart ached as she heard Kirby call out for her mother, and part of her wondered why she wasn't here by her daughter's bedside. Clasping her hand just that little tighter, Sydney raised her head enough to be able to see Kirby properly, and for Kirby to see her, and once her vision had cleared, she could tell because the panic flooded through Kirby's eyes almost instantaneously. The machine that was observing her vitals became high-pitched and increased in its frequency. Please, please don't let him, Kirby cried, her arms flailing and spasming in her reaction to their first use in four weeks. Kirby, it's all right. It's me, Sydney. Sydney had stood up now and was desperately trying to calm the younger woman by running her hands through Kirby's matted and blood-stained hair. It's over. It's over. She didn't get to say much more because of the influx of doctors and nurses that flooded into the room. Because of Kirby's condition, it meant that she was on high observation by the staff, not to mention they were all on high alert after the incident with Jill that first night. So the drastic change had alerted them that something was really wrong. If you wouldn't mind stepping out for a while, ma'am, one of the nurses quickly ushered Miss Sydney out. They weren't concerned about her presence there. They knew of the incident regarding both of them, but they needed to regulate Kirby's breathing and settle her. Sydney didn't protest. She was exhausted from just observing the hospital staff attempting to restrain Kirby's arms and legs as she kicked and thrashed, tearing out her cannula in the process. 
Her eyes were wild with confusion and fright, and there was no wonder. This was going to be the most difficult few weeks of her life. But as Sydney returned to her own room, shutting the door and closing the blinds on the monitoring window, she decided she had to be there. She owed it to Kirby. Sydney awoke with a start only a few hours later to the opening of her door. Nobody came through the door immediately, and she slowly hitched herself upon the bed. Ignoring the temporary strain from the last set of stitches and against her better judgement, she called out. Hello, is someone there? Instincts kicking in immediately. She searched around in desperation for a weapon, anything she could use to defend herself with. Upon realising she had limited options, she unplugged the lamp from the side and picked it up. Not quite the blade or gun she would hope for, but it had some weight behind it. Standing up, Sydney's legs trembled as she slowly made her way towards the door. The lamp was raised behind her in preparation for the attack. She took a few steady breaths before leaping out, ready to injure anyone who would thought it would be a good idea to creep around. Silence. The hallway of the ward was isolated, empty and dark, and Sydney detected something wrong almost immediately. She didn't get time to dwell on the silence, though, as she heard a large bang echoing from the other side of the room, causing Sydney to twist and face the direction of the noise. Her breathing was sharp now, quick and frightened. The window that she had always kept firmly shut had been pushed upwards. She hadn't done that, but somebody else had, and she wasn't about to stay and find out who the hell was behind it. Still with a lamp in her hand, Sydney fled from her room into the hall, checking each room to see if she could find someone anyone to help her. As a brisk walk turned to running, then turned to sprinting, Sydney wasn't sure whether the thudding she heard were her footsteps or the footsteps following closely behind her, or her heartbeat throbbing in her ears. In the height of panic, the next door she came to was open, and it became her sanctuary and she quickly shut it and held the door handle. There was no lock on the handle, so a hold would have to do. Silence came over the scene again, and Sydney forced her breathing to quieten, trying to listen to any sign of life. There were footsteps. Slow, purposeful, slick strides that seemed to ooze confidence and assurance. She felt like a mouse being toyed with by a hawk, and as the footsteps grew closer and closer, a new sound infiltrated Sydney's senses. The unsheathing of something cool, metallic, sharp. The blade of a knife. Squeezing her eyes shut for a moment, Sydney bit back tears, trying to decide what to do with the new sound was present. She could hear the holder of a weapon scraping along the hospital walls. She could almost feel it vibrating through her and clutch the door handle even harder, resisting the urge not to throw up. Then it stopped. Closing her sweaty palms around the handle like her life depended on it, Sydney had the lamp under her arm, which dropped to the floor as someone at the opposite side of the door grabbed the handle, beginning to rattle and shake it with ferocious motive, attempting to wrench it open as Sydney screamed, leaning back and holding onto it for dear life. After a few moments of trying, the door stilled, and Sydney wondered why the hell it had. The door was protecting her from whatever was trying to so desperately to get in. Sydney. The voice didn't come from outside the door. Before she had a chance to turn around, Sydney felt two hands grab her forearms, dragging her back into the darkness. She was falling. She couldn't stop. Sid! Sid's eyes flew open and she saw the familiar face of Dewey looming over her, panic and concern etched into his eyes. It was just a dream, Sydney. You're all right. Another familiar voice this time, and Sydney turned her head to see Gail standing on the other side of her, her unbandaged arm clutching Sydney's still flailing one. 
It took a few moments to come round properly. Her pyjamas were sticking to her skin through sweat, and every sound that wasn't Dewey or Gail's voice had her on high alert. Once settled, Gail had taken her leave to go and grab everyone a coffee. She was under no impression that she and Sydney were anywhere near as close as her husband and Sydney were, and the small snippets of conversation would be relayed back to her that night by Dewey anyway. I've just been to see Kirby, Dewey introduced the topic of conversation, leaning back in the visiting chair once he knew that Sydney was conscious enough to know that no harm was coming to her. Sydney nodded slowly, feeling embarrassed and uncomfortable by the show that she'd just made of herself. She knew that Dewey didn't pay it any mind, of course. He had his own monsters that wore the exact same mask. It's good to see she's awake, Sydney eventually replied, picking at a loose cotton thread on her sheet. Awake but asleep. The doctors had to sedate her a little just to keep her relaxed enough. Seems like another thing you two have in common, two sets of stitches. He smiled weakly at his feeble attempt at a joke and Sydney had the grace to respond with the same weak smile. How much does she know? Sydney asked, wondering what must be going through her mind at that moment. The feeling of being targeted by a serial killer was one thing. That serial killer being your best friend was a completely different level of betrayal. Nothing as of yet. As sheriff of the investigation, it's my responsibility to explain, but I figured you might want to do that with me, he trailed off, relieved when Sydney nodded. Nobody really knew the real her anymore. Sydney wasn't even sure she knew who she was after the latest attack, but Dewey was the person who came closest. The opening of the door startled Sydney, and she immediately tensed up, only to relax when Gail walked in with two large coffees, a young man in a uniform assisting her with the final one and handing it to Sydney. I'll be overlooking the next couple of evening shifts between you and Miss Reed, ma'am, he explained, smiling at Sydney in a way of introduction. I'm Adam Burke, pleased to meet you. Sydney was surprised when she heard the surname of the officer in front of her. Woodsboro was a small town and everyone knew everyone, so she didn't forget the boy she used to babysit for. As in Sheriff Joseph Burke's son? The last time I saw you, you were putting up a massive fight about going to sleep so early. She looked at Adam's confused face and couldn't help but chuckle. I wish you sit her sometimes. Not often. Oh, Adam stammered, a quiet blush rising onto his cheeks as he shuffled in his stiff uniform. It was iron to the point and quite obviously new. Apologies, ma'am. I don't really remember much before the first... Well, he was positively beetroot now. Gail rolled her eyes at the newbie. Adam is just finishing his training with the academy and has just joined Woodsboro County Police. She didn't mince her words. He'll be taking the night shifts with Dewey and Hicks. For experience, she added. I just thought I'd introduce myself is all. Can't be great having unfamiliar people around the place after everything, Adam added. Shuffling once more, clearly not sure whether to stay or leave. Dewey smiled at Adam, almost like a father comforting a son. You did right, Adam. Go to your station with Hicks and I'll be along shortly. Adam nodded, grateful for the sign that he should leave as he made a swift exit. Dewey looked pointedly at Gail, who was sipping her coffee when she made eye contact with her husband. What? Do you have to emasculate and terrorise every single one of my officers, he asked. Sydney had to admit that she was enjoying the playful bickering between the pair. It was a distraction from the underlying issue of what she was going to have to tell Kirby. After another hour, Dewey and Gail took their leave with the promise that Dewey would be back the following morning to provide moral support for both Sydney and Kirby. The sooner she found out, the sooner they could all once again start picking up the pieces. And that is the end of chapter one, and it's taken nearly 15 minutes, so I feel like five chapters was extremely ambitious of me I forgot how much I'd actually written so it might be that we get a few less done but I'll keep going until my voice is gone 
So we're moving on to chapter two now, Numbing Guilt. My chapter titles are obviously the peak of dramatic. There was a point when Sydney had craved silence. She had craved it when her mum's murder came to light within the press. She craved silence through the court case when the dazzling flashes of cameras had startled her and countless microphones had been thrust forward to her face. The screams and shouts of reporters bellowing her name as she just tried to get into school had haunted her. College had been a brief reprieve. She'd travelled over 2,000 miles away, telling herself she wasn't running, but that instead it was a new start. Windsor College had the familiarity of Woodsboro, with the likes of Randy and the theatre, something she'd always enjoyed. But then it started again. The attacks, the murders, the questions, the constant suspicion. Even wiping her name off the face of the planet had not been enough. Yet here she was, laid in the hospital bed. Sydney gently trailed her nails over a pale blue vest top, the pads of her fingers gently brushing against the jaggedness of the stitches holding her wound in place whilst it healed. It didn't hurt so sharply anymore, but it did ache. A soft sigh escaped her and she turned her attention to the clock on the wall. 3am. Tick, tick, tick. Many found the sound soothing, lulled in by the consistency of the rhythm and the slight twitch of the hand that directed the seconds. To Sydney, however, the sound was infuriating. After what felt like years, she reached above her bed and pushed the buzzer for the attention of the nurses on the night shift, and minutes later, one entered with haste. Hi, Sydney. The warm smile of the woman instinctively made her relax. She hadn't even known she was still tense. Clarice had been there in the aftermath of the final encounter with Jill. She had helped lift her up from the floor and tend to her gaping wound that had been split open in the struggle. Nearly a month later, and Clarice had made sure she was there to tend to her through various shifts. Hi, Clarice. Sorry to bother you, but I'm in a lot of pain and Tylenol or aspirin just aren't cutting it, Sydney excused. Her hand rested on her stomach for good measure. Clarice's smiling face turned to a look of concern as she grabbed the folder at the end of the bed and checked through her medication, scanning over the page as her eyes flew from left to right before she tapped her pen and smiled at her. I can give you some liquid morphine, honey. That will definitely stop the pain until morning. Then we can get a doctor to come and take a look at how the wound is healing, she offered. Sydney nodded gratefully in thanks, slowly sinking back into the pillows as she waited for Clarice to return. It wasn't like she had struggled with sleep before. All her life she had woken up due to constant and repetitive night terrors. Not only that, but she struggled to fully engage in sleep. It was like she had one ear open for the creak of a door, or the footsteps silently approaching. Just the thought of not fully having control of what was going to happen made Sydney feel clammy and nervous, but she took a deep breath and exhaled. She needed the sleep, and Hicks and Burke were patrolling the floor of the hospital like their lives depended on it. That was the issue. It wasn't their lives that depended on it. It was hers. When Clarice returned with the morphine in a transparent pot, Sydney wasted no time in knocking it back like a shot of Patron. If she thought too much about it, she wouldn't take it and she'd learned from experience that exhaustion was just as lethal as the vulnerability that came with sleep. The shuffling of hands grasping at the pull cord of the blinds accompanied by the sound of the slats being pulled open alerted Sydney that she was not alone. The momentary panic that completely crushed her chest was settled when her bleary eyes focused, and she recognised the shade of blue that was a nurse's uniform in the room with her. Good morning, Miss Prescott, a male nurse greeted, then checked the clock. I suppose I should have waited a few minutes to say good afternoon instead. Sydney glanced at the clock that was still ticking incessantly, and she looked surprised when she realised that it was almost noon. 
I, I didn't realise I'd slept for so long, Sydney replied slowly. The aftermath of the morphine was hitting her like a ton of bricks. A headache, dry mouth and a brain that felt like it had been surrounded by cotton wool. Well, your body is still recovering and clearly needed it, the nurse retorted, chirpily, turning to face her before continuing. Sheriff Riley is wanting to pay you a visit, but I can always hold him off whilst you wake up properly. Thanks, Sydney trailed off, resting her hand on her forehead and rubbing at her temples, as if trying to physically mould herself into consciousness. Around 20 minutes or so later, Sydney was dressed in a baggy t-shirt and loose-fitting sweats that Gail had kind, been kind enough to get to her. Not her usual attire, but she needed garments that would not rub or irritate her stomach, and she wasn't one for just sitting in pyjamas all day. After knocking and waiting for permission to enter, Dewey walked through to her room, decked out in official police uniform. Though he removed his hat as soon as he saw Sydney waiting for him. Hicks mentioned you had a rough night, Dewey trailed off, taking a perch on the chair he had been sitting on the previous night. Raising her eyebrow, Sydney sat up a little straighter and turned to face him fully, swinging her legs off the bed. I didn't realise that Hicks was in charge of overlooking my administered medication, she retorted, managing to keep a straight face as she watched Dewey become a little flustered. She cares about you, Sid. We all do, and... I know, Dewey. Sydney interrupted before he could start his spiel about her being a survivor and about how many people were relieved that she had lived through yet another ordeal. Privately, she considered what the ratio was of people who were relieved to people who she who wished she'd been six feet under so that this would stop happening. The silence between them was palpable for a few minutes, until Dewey shifted in his chair and cleared his throat. Kirby's doing well. They're thinking of moving her out of ICU and further down the ward. Less monitoring. Dewey informed her, then quickly corrected. 24 hours police watch, of course, but in a more stable position health-wise. Are the police even necessary anymore, Sydney asked. It wasn't that she wasn't grateful that there were people around who were armed and vigilant, but it did make her feel like something else was going on. Jill and Charlie are both dead. Surely that's the end of it. Where have I heard that one before, Dewey quipped, his own eyebrow raised in response to Sydney's statement. It's just as much for us as it is for you and Kirby. Just so there's no... He hesitated for a brief moment. Backlash. People see stories like this and their imaginations run wild and they do stupid things. We just want to keep you away from all that. Sydney nodded in response to Dewey's reasoning. What he said was perfectly justified and as said before, she certainly wasn't about to decline the extra protection. Jill and Charlie might have been dead, but the aftermath of what they had done would linger permanently. Was she awake when you went to see her? Sydney asked, reaching out for the glass of water and taking her usual painkillers. I haven't been to see her yet. I just looked through the window of the room on my way up here and got talking to one of the ICU staff, Dewey explained, straightening up slightly. Are you sure you want to be the one to explain? I'll be there in case you need support. He knew that offer would fall on deaf ears, though. In the whole time that he had known Sydney Prescott, she had never needed support to do anything. The term had been thrown around in the tabloids a lot. Survivor but there was no better word to describe her. He had conversed with Gail many times about how she could still be, li be a living, breathing person instead of being in a state of catatonic fear, and there was still no closer to working it out. I owe her that much. I left her alone in that basement knowing she was dealing with the killer. She wouldn't be in this state if it wasn't for me. Sid, Dewey sighed. They'd been through this statement so many times, and no matter how much he told her that Kirby's injuries weren't Sydney's fault, she still didn't entertain the idea. Whether you were there or not, Kirby could have still been injured. You acted on instinct and went to find Jill, he trailed off as Sydney scoffed. And what a great plan that was. Meanwhile, Kirby was being murdered and then I went to save someone who didn't need saving at all. 
the bitterness in Sydney's tone was palpable, and Dewey knew not to try and comfort her again. He had learnt that after many years, Sydney was her own harshest critic. You can't save everyone, Sydney, he eventually spoke, once the silence grown too, had grown on too uncomfortable to bear. But I can try. After forming a brief plan over what she was going to say, then realising the concept of trying to come up with a script to explain how her friends had tried to murder her was completely and utterly ridiculous, Sydney had decided to play it by ear. That was assuming that Kirby wanted to talk to her because she wouldn't blame the young woman if she didn't want to talk to her at all. The walk to the ICU seemed longer and more daunting, trepidation and a deep sense of nausea coming in waves with each step. Although Sydney had learnt to maintain a straight and expressionless face in times of adversity, Inside her nerves were twisting and the light headache she had put down to too much sleep from the morphine was now developing into a full-blown throb. Standing outside of Kirby's room, Sydney watched the sheet that covered Kirby's body rise and fall as the girl slept. It was something she had decided that many people took for granted. The simple yet beautiful art of inhaling and exhaling. Living was a luxury that she had nearly lost so many times and part of her didn't want to disturb Kirby from her slumber. She's asleep. Maybe we should come back, Sydney stated softly, not tearing her eyes from the figure that's looked so small and frail in such a large hospital bed. The steady hum from the machines telling everyone near that there was nothing to worry about medically. Even when Sydney had said it, she hadn't really believed that coming back was really an option. But she pushed on, not quite knowing why. She's going to have to live with this for the rest of her life. A few more hours of peace, she trailed off this time, because she knew she was talking absolute trash. She has to wake up sometimes, Sid. Now is as good as time as any, Dewey gently prompted, avoiding the lecture and official business route, because he knew that Sydney understood that the sooner Kirby knew about this, the sooner she could start putting her life back together. Nodding slowly, Sydney shifted her away, herself away from the window and grasped the metal handle of the door, her mind briefly flashing back to the dream she had encountered when she had napped the previous afternoon. However, she swallowed her fears and anxiety and pushed the door open, gently letting herself in as De Dewey followed her closely behind. Although Kirby was indeed alive, judging by the machines bleeping and her chest wavering under the sheets, Sydney couldn't ignore how awful she looked. For someone who had been in an induced coma, she looked exhausted. Her previously golden skin looked grey and taut. Her stylish blonde chop was matted with blood still and unkempt. The nurses had tried their best, but Kirby looked half dead, and that really did startle Sydney. Looking at Dewey unsurely, she reached out to give the woman's hand a gentle squeeze and shake, hoping that she wouldn't startle her too much. To her relief, a slow groan escaped Kirby's cracked lips, and her eyes flickered open a little easier than when she'd first come out of the coma at her own accord. It's good to see you awake, Kirby, Sydney told her, gently squeezing her hand again. Stupid question, but how are you feeling? Kirby seemed to pause as if considering her answer, as her eyes shifted from Sydney to Dewey, before they settled back onto Sydney, like I've been gutted. And despite everything, all the worry about going into details of what was going to be the most horrific night of Kirby's life, Sydney smiled. Something told her that this girl was going to be all right. Okay, so that was chapter two. Maybe I'll get chapter three in, maybe four, maybe three though. We are nearly on half an hour already. So this is what happens when I don't have Oliver asking questions. So this is chapter three, Harrowing Revelations. The silence between Sydney, Kirby and Dewey that followed Kirby's weak quip about being gutted hung in the air like a sulphurous smell. 
The humour had been a brief reprieve, but it was quickly replaced by a heavy sense of something that was almost too imperceptible to notice. It was like a blanket of grief had settled in the air. Dewey sensed the uneasiness in the air and cleared his throat, reaching up and removing his hat, resting it on his lap and brushing at the top as if there was a blemish upon it. I suppose you've got a lot of questions, Kirby, he trailed off, forcing himself to look at her instead of his hat. Kirby took another moment to collect herself, staring up at the white-tiled ceiling. It was so clean and sterile that it still hurt her eyes as she was accustomed to the darkness that had consumed her over the past few weeks. It was Charlie. Kirby spoke in a hoarse rasp, shakily extending her hand to retrieve the cup of water that had been placed on her bedside table. Pressing the cup to her lips, she took two or three gulps, coughing and spluttering as she placed the drink back down and wiped her mouth. Taking a couple of short breaths, Kirby collected herself before continuing. Charlie was the one who tried to kill me. Did, did he hurt anyone else? Jill? Trevor? Sydney knew that she was struggling to ask those questions. She could see it in the way Kirby closed her eyes after she had asked, and the way her voice had caught in the odd syllable. She supposed to someone who was none the wiser, it could be blamed on the struggle of speaking after such a long time being silent. Sydney knew, though, it was a betrayal that she knew all too well. The weight of her next few words were going to hit like a bulldozer, and nobody would be able to prepare Kirby for that. The only kindness that Sydney could give her was honesty. Brutal and cruel, but something to cling to when everything else felt so completely uncertain. There were there were no other survivors, Kirby. Sydney reached out and grasped Kirby's hand in her own. Trevor was shot, and as for Jill, she was the other killer. Sydney could feel the clamminess of Kirby's palm as soon as those words were uttered. She could only stare back as her gaze fixed on Sydney, eyes glazing over with tears at this revelation that had well and truly surprised her. Jill, you're lying. She couldn't, she wouldn't. I would have known. I would have been able to work it out. Kirby's brain was spiralling and her stomach churned violently. She was my cousin, Kirby. If anyone should have known or guessed, it should have been me. Sydney trailed off. It was typical. Denial. She herself could recall laying in bed at night all those years ago after the first set of murders, tossing and turning hopelessly as she struggled to come up with any excuse as to why it couldn't have been Billy. She had damn well heard his confession, the way he gloated about butchering her mother and explained just how he was going to get away with it. However, it hadn't stopped Sydney near enough tearing her hair out trying to justify a crossed wire or a miscommunication. You're lying. None of this would have happened if you hadn't come back on your stupid fucking book tour. What were you looking for? A sequel? The words flew from Kirby's tongue like poison. They came flooding through all the same, though. Kirby, Dewey intervened swiftly, struggling with his own moral dilemma. He could understand where Kirby was coming from. Woodsboro had been a peaceful town for years until Sydney had returned. And even in his darkest and deepest thoughts... He had wondered whether Sydney truly was a catalyst for spilt blood. Those thoughts hadn't lasted long, though. Sydney was one of his closest friends, a fellow survivor. She was someone who had felt the loss of his sister just as much as he had. That was what he regarded her as now, a sister. He hadn't been able to protect Tatum. He'd been ignorant and caught off guard, and he resolved that such a thing like that would never happen where Sydney was concerned. Dewey had learned from his mistakes. Don't defend her! Kirby snapped, startling from his thoughts. How many times have you been hurt? What about Olivia and Trevor and Robbie? How many more people have to die? The words were projecting from her like vomit. 
Kirby was never one to shy away from speaking her mind, but she was rarely rude and offensive to people's faces. But she couldn't help it. The white-hot rage was pouring from her, and she could barely think straight. This isn't Sydney. Dewey was cut off by Sydney herself. It's fine, Dewey. Sydney gently squeezed Kirby's hand and released it, letting out a slow sigh and standing up. She wasn't angry. How could she be? She understood Kirby's reasoning because she had the exact same thoughts a lot of the time too. Her counsellor told her it was survivor's guilt. The constant niggling in her brain that questioned why. Why did this happen to her? Why did so many people hate her so much? Why did she survive? Why was she still alive? Why, 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 why? It's a lot for you right now and I understand that. Sydney told her somewhat sympathetically. But the whole world knows more of your story than you do. And even if we have to talk about it a little bit at a time, I want to be there for you. You might not like it and you might hate me. And once I've told you everything, if you still despise me, then you won't hear from me again, she promised her, taking a moment before continuing. But I know how you feel. And it's going to be really hard doing this alone. I had to because I didn't have a choice. But this time you have a choice, Kirby. I'll pop and see you later, if that's all right. Kirby deliberately didn't make eye contact with Sydney throughout her speech. Instead, she stared fixedly at the wall. It was uncomfortable, to say the least, but what made it worse, that despite the verbal hammering that Sydney had just received, she'd not said a word to defend her case. It made Kirby feel guilty, which consequently made her even angrier at the level-headed brunette. Sydney was somewhat relieved. She'd been anticipating Kirby's reaction. In the short time that Sydney had been acquainted with her, Kirby seemed to have the fieriness of Tatum, the loyalty of Hallie and the survival stink of instinct of herself. She liked it and she respected it. Kirby's silence served to support the idea that she was quite finished with her onslaught, but was still frosty and furious. The small breakthrough that Sydney felt came through the fact Kirby did not answer whether she was welcome later or not. It was the shock that had been talking, not her. Get some rest. There's guards outside looking after you. But it's done now, Sydney told her, taking note of the heaviness in Kirby's eyes. After having no energy and drive for a matter of weeks, the outburst must have really taken it out of her. I'm fine, Kirby retorted shortly, fighting to keep her eyes open like a newborn struggling to stay awake. I know you are. We've been trying to get in contact with your dad, Kirby, but he's not picking up, Dewey stated, scratching the back of his neck as he stood up to allow Kirby to get some rest. He's in Beijing on business. He was having issues with his phone, but he should have known if I haven't been Skyping, Kirby trailed off, equally as confused. Well, if you give us permission to access your account, we can send him a message to tell him where you are and where to contact you, Dewey offered. Kirby quickly shook her head, panic momentarily flaring in her eyes. No, no, it's okay. He's due back at the end of the month anyway. I mean, in the next few days, I guess. The time lapse was something that Kirby was still getting used to. I don't want to panic him. He needs this contract. I'm okay. I think he ought to know if you're in hospital, Kirby, Dewey advised. He and Gail had never had children, something else the couple had not agreed on, and something in which Gail had managed to get her own way with as per usual. Shaking her head once more, Kirby closed her eyes, finally allowing exhaustion to prevail over a weary body. Honestly, Sheriff, I'm okay. He hates hospitals and he's probably not going to be able to get back until his original flight time anyway. There's no point in in worry. She didn't get to finish her sentence, trailing it off as she settled back into a deep sleep. Dewey and Sydney quietly exited the room, 
though Sydney was quite sure that she could have pressed an air horn repeatedly and Kirby still wouldn't have awoken. The walk back to Sydney's room was silent, and it was only when they got to the room did Dewey finally break the silence. She didn't mean it, Sid. She's just a kid. She's scared, wiped out, and overwhelmed. Sydney nodded, a small smile gracing the lips at Dewey's feeble attempt to comfort her. Kirby was indeed all of those things, but Sydney wasn't quite so sure she hadn't meant it. It's fine, Dewey. Honestly, I'm pretty wiped myself, she lied smoothly. Even if she had been fatigued, she wouldn't have been able to sleep. There was too much going on in her mind. Are you going to try and get in contact with Kirby's dad? Dewey sighed and shrugged his shoulders. Kirby's old enough to make those decisions for herself, despite what I might think. She's always been pretty independent since a mum passed, though. How did she die? Sydney asked curiously. Cancer. Ate away at her to the very end. Kirby really took care of her. Nearly had to get her in a cop car every day for two years to take her to school, or else she'd have dropped out. You care for her, Sydney observed. Yeah, I'm fond of her, I guess. She reminds me of, you know. He shrugged, somewhat embarrassed, as he glanced down at his camel-coloured trousers. Sydney's gaze softened, as did her voice as she rested her hand over his. She reminds me of her too. Okay, so that was chapter three. We're on 37 minutes. Maybe I can squeeze chapter four in. Yeah, we'll do chapter four. Let's do it. I hope you're enjoying it so far. You know, when you read, I, I read back on my own work and I do cringe slightly. There's things where I'm like, yeah, I shouldn't have written that. Why do I write so many similes? I don't know. All improvement though, all improvement. So we'll go for chapter four. We'll see where we get to. We might be able to go to the original chapter five, but this uh, I think is a pretty long one. So chapter four, weapons down. Sydney was surprised at how well she had slept the night previous, especially unaided by an extra dose of morphine. She had assumed that she'd been thinking about Kirby or what had happened over those past few days. However, since Kirby was awake and seemingly out of the woods, that invisible weight that she had resided that had resided on Sydney's shoulders seemed to have alleviated somewhat. In all honesty, she was in two minds about whether she should go and visit Kirby at all today. The words that had been communicated were not minced and told her that Kirby didn't want anything to do with her right now. Continuing to ponder as she dressed, Sydney couldn't help but glance at the scar that protruded slightly from her stomach in the mirror. Of course, she hadn't been through what she had over the past 18 years without becoming unblemished. A dent here, a patch of discoloration there, yet Jill had been the one to leave the biggest mark. Like Roman, Jill had been her own flesh and blood. That betrayal cut deeper than any knife possibly could. She'd been, she'd been able to process Roman's reasonings. A boy in a man's body who desperately sought after a mother's love that he never received. Bitter jealousy at a sibling who seemed to have everything that he didn't. It wasn't acceptable, but she could understand why his life had taken that turn. Jill. Jill had been another matter entirely that Sydney just couldn't quite wrap her head around. In her mind, Jill had everything. Sure, they shared the same name, and that meant in some way she had been in the shadow of the infamy. But Sydney would have given all that up in a second to lead her life the way the cousin did, pretended to do. A family, two parents, albeit separated, that adored her. A relatively normal life. A sharp rapping at the door pulled Sydney from her stream of consciousness, and she quickly smoothed down her shirt, just in time, to see the figure of Adam shuffling into the room sheepishly. Miss Prescott, I was just coming off my night shift, ma'am. Miss Reed expressed that she wanted to speak with you today and I and I well said that I would pass on the message. He told her in a rushed and embarrassed tone. Sydney smiled at his inexperience and bashfulness. 
It reminded her of how Dewey had behaved when he first got his badge, unsure of whether he was saying the right thing, struggling to meet the eye of those he was protecting. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate you telling me. You look tired. You should go and rest, she told him. Nodding his head, he picked up on the hint to leave her. He mumbled his thanks and started shuffling out of the door. Oh, and Adam... The young man paused mid-step and stuck his head back through the threshold of the door. You're good to call me Sydney. It's not like we're complete strangers, right? Adam seemed to turn a familiar shade of red that she had seen sweep through his cheeks a couple of times that they had met and watched him nod vigorously before making a swift exit from the room. Well, that settles the choice of leaving her be or going to see her, Sydney thought to herself, pulling her hair up into a ponytail before exiting the room. Sydney couldn't help but be a little surprised when she opened the door to find Kirby's bed empty. Instead, she saw her fellow survivor in an armchair, staring out of the window. Immediately, Sydney noticed that Kirby had showered as the scent of jasmine lingered over the hospital's cleaning chemicals and the young woman's hair hung in damp strands. Somebody, she presumed to be Dewey Gale or Hicks, had taken the initiative to bring her some different clothes as underneath her gown was a glimpse of a black strappy top and light grey sweatpants. Although she still looked pale and drawn, she had a little more colour back in her cheeks than yesterday. She also noticed that Kirby had been unhooked from the majority of her machines, which had been in place, which instead had been replaced by an IV stand with two pouches dripping through rhythmically. All of these pointed towards the road of recovery and just reaffirmed what Sydney always knew. Kirby was a survivor, just like she was. I shouldn't have been so rude to you yesterday. Sorry. Sydney was taken momentarily off guard by Kirby's apology. For a quick second, she wondered how Kirby had known she was there, but then she realised that she had been spotted through the reflection in the window. Taking her apology as a sign of peace, Sydney stepped through to her room, slowly making her way over to the armchair at the other side of the window. It's okay. Believe it or not, I've heard worse, Sydney replied, a small smile on her lips. Damn, maybe I am losing my touch if that's not the worst you've heard, came the reply, causing Sydney's grin to widen a little more as she fixed her eyes from Kirby to the window. It seems like the heavens had opened that morning as rain poured. Visually, it looked dull and depressing, but the spattering of the rain hitting the glass was almost like a lullaby, something that the two women were reluctant to disturb. After a few moments, Kirby cleared her throat and tore her eyes away from the downpour to focus on Sydney properly. Are you angry? Because I am. Sydney chewed the flesh on the inside of her cheek as she considered Kirby's question. I'm a lot of things. It was the answer that she had given so far for the main question that had left any visitor's lips. How are you feeling? But Sydney didn't want to fob Kirby off like she had everyone else. She deserved a lot more than that. I'm betrayed more than anything, I suppose. Jill was my family. Distant family, but still family, she began, as to which Kirby quickly interjected. What about Roman Bridger? Sydney shrugged. It's different. With Roman, I didn't feel betrayed. I didn't even know I had a half-brother, but Jill was known family. I know that I didn't see her much, or any part of my mum's family, really. She allowed her words to trail off as she continued to watch the rain. But? Sydney let out a deep sigh. But she was still a big part of my life. Someone who I thought I could trust, someone I thought I could protect, or who would fight for me if they had to. Like Billy Loomis. Sydney's eyebrows shot up at that answer. It wasn't so much what she said, but Kirby had been able to pinpoint the exact emotional response she had felt. Nobody had been able to do that before. You seem to know an awful lot about my life. Kirby shrugged dismissively, though she did seem to be caught up in her thoughts. 
However, after a minute or so passed, she broke her silence. I researched you a lot, you know, when my mum died. The comment was only left for a second before she continued. I know that there were completely different circumstances and everything, but I didn't know anyone else who had been through a parent dying. Jill had talked about you a couple of times and Kate was like a second mum through all of it and she talked about you so often, how strong and brave you'd been and I just, I guess I looked up to you a bit. The silence was uncomfortable for the two women then. Kirby seemed as embarrassed about giving the compliment as Sydney was at taking it. I'm not some crazy stalker, I promise. The comment made Sydney laugh then and she nodded her head. She never thought she deserved the fame or glory for what had happened to her. It was this traumatic series of events that had just so happened to leave her in one piece. There was no reason for her to have such attention placed upon her but just because she was lucky. Or unlucky, she supposed. Nevertheless, if she could offer comfort and support to those that had suffered from similar tragedies, then that was at least something. I feel embarrassed as much as I feel angry, Kirby said in a small voice, lips pursing slightly as she sniffed. Why do you feel embarrassed? Because I make out like I know about all this horror movie crap, reciting trivia like some teenage virgin without realising my best friend was butchering everyone close to us. She scoffed, quickly shaking her head and chewing on her bitter nails. Sydney found herself nodding as she listened to what Kirby had to say. She wasn't going to insult the girl's intelligence by trying to comfort her because she was right. But Kirby was young and had no idea about how any of this had played out. Life isn't a movie, Kirby. It may seem it and mine has certainly had the tragic horror aspect, I suppose. But as soon as you start labelling something, it becomes it, she explained to her, hoping to come across as helpful as opposed to patronising. Thankfully, she didn't seem to make sense. She did seem to make sense as Kirby nodded thoughtfully. You're right. When mum passed, everyone at school tiptoed around me. Hell, even dad tiptoed around me. He still does. They saw me as a victim and I hated it, she confessed. I know how that feels. Trust me. I know you do. The silence returned to a comforting one now. The rain had lightened up and the thumping wasn't so hard against the panels anymore. Just as the tension had been lifted from the sky, it was like it had from the room too. Are you going to leave Woodsboro? Kirby asked eventually, fiddling with a blanket that was draped around her legs. At some point, yes. It's not healthy for me or anyone else being back here. Angel of death and all that. Sydney raised her eyebrows once more. Sorry. I know, I'm just kidding, but you're not the only person in town who thinks I'm the pariah of Woodsboro. Kirby seemed quiet then, and Sydney detected a hint of sadness coming from her. She didn't know why, but she felt compelled to resolve that. But I'll stay for a while longer yet. They still need me for the closing of the investigation, and I at least want to make sure you're okay before I go. Why? I'm not your problem, Kirby asked. It wasn't an unusual sassy tone when she was making a point, but one of genuine confusion. Sydney hesitated for a moment before replying. That's the attitude I took moments before you were nearly killed. Maybe if I'd made you a concern, things wouldn't have gone far as they did. For some unbeknownst reason to Sydney, that comment had struck a nerve as she watched the younger girl sniff, her gla eyes glaze over with tears for a brief moment before she sniffed again and rubbed her eyes. Maybe they wouldn't have gone as far at all, she agreed, and Sydney appreciated that. Just as she hadn't hedged around matters with Kirby, Kirby had given her the same treatment. But we're both here now, and that's what's important, right? Sydney turned to look at Kirby once more, slowly nodding her head and giving her a genuine smile. Yeah, that's what's important. Okay, right, I'm going one more. We did hit chapter five in the end. We'll go 
and then I'm leaving it there. So chapter five, homecoming. After another four days of the same monotonous routine, with the exception of visiting Kirby's room, which had been the highlight of her days, Sydney was finally allowed to be discharged from the hospital. All she'd wanted to do since she had killed her cousin was leave. She'd been foolish, nowhere was safe. The nine years of uneventfulness had softened her, made her weak, vulnerable. She wasn't going to let her guard down again. Dewey was waiting for her outside the room when she signed her papers and the two made their way toward the exit in silence. Dewey, having taken her bag as soon as she'd let him, however, she paused as she heard her name called. Kirby stood, hand propped against her IV stand. Aren't you going to say bye? she asked, almost sheepishly. Sydney's eyes regained that warm and friendly flicker as she asked Dewey to give her five minutes. He obliged and headed out to the car, leaving the two women to say their piece. Heading over to Kirby, Sydney stopped a few feet away. From the short amount of time she'd known Kirby, it was very easy to forget that she was really just a kid. Eighteen, naive, and just had a whole life turned upside down. Yet with those large green eyes that remained unframed without mascara, an eyeliner and the cropped blonde hair that was no longer slipped back, but fluffy and dishevelled from just being dried after a shower, she could have passed for sixteen. And despite all the bravado and the false confidence facade that she had put forward when they first met, it had been just that, a facade, an act. Hey, I said goodbye yesterday. Besides, it's not really goodbye. I'm still going to come and see you every single day. And when you get out, Sydney trailed off, not really sure how to answer that, seeing as she really didn't know what was going on herself. Obviously, she had followed through with the notion that the book tour was completely cancelled. You'll go back to wherever you came from and I'll be a reference in your book sequel, Kirby responded, not meeting her eyes and shifting her gaze back down to the floor. Before she could stop herself, Sydney reached out and tipped her chin upwards, encouraging Kirby to look at her. Hey, do I look like Gail to you? Sydney teased fondly before continuing. I don't know where I'm going yet or what I'm doing, but I meant what I said. I'm staying at least until you're recovered and the full investigation is finished, Sydney told her. And there's funeral services to attend and... She sighed herself. There's a lot to do and a lot of unfinished stuff that needs getting in order. Are you going to Jill's funeral? Kirby asked, clearly surprised at this revelation. Sydney shook her head in response to that. She had said her goodbye in that hospital room and anything else would have been too much. No, Jill was already privately cremated. Her dad cleared the house and was left with her ashes, Sydney explained. She hadn't even realised herself until Kate's funeral had been mentioned. It's Kate's funeral on Tuesday, and I'll be attending, Sydney told her, and I'm guessing that you'll want to be there too. Kirby nodded immediately. She meant what she had told Sydney that day. To her, Kate had been a second mother, and when her own had passed away, and she at least owed her a goodbye. Do you think they'll let me go to it? she asked. Between you and me, they're talking about discharging you on Monday. Just four more days, Sydney revealed. Really? That's great, but how do you know that? Dewey can't keep much confidential. Kirby grinned at this and nodded. At least there was an end to this nightmare. Impulsively, Sydney extended her arms and wrapped Kirby up in them. Although that sterile hospital smell was present, the fresh scent of jasmine lingered. Squeezing her gently, she rested her hands on the younger woman's shoulders. Four more days. I'll come and visit every day until then. We have quite a bit to sort out too, she told her. Keep your chin up, Kirby. Kirby gave her an impish smile and nodded. I will. Thanks, Sid. Throughout majority of the car journey, Sydney was silent. Kirby still relayed within her thoughts, but there was also the impending issue of Kate's funeral. 
She was grateful that Paul, Kate's ex-husband, had taken the initiative to clear the house and move Jill's remains. Dewey had mentioned he had told Paul that Sydney was still recovering in hospital, yet Paul had expressed in very few words that he didn't want to set eyes on her again. Pulling up outside her childhood home, Dewey sighed and stared at the vast landscape. I don't like you being here by yourself, Sid, he admitted. The once beautiful area was tainted with fear and sadness, much like the town itself. Sydney also stared back out at the large space. It was just as she remembered it. She hadn't been back since since her father died. I'll be all right, Dewey, she told him. But even she couldn't deny the pit of growing anxiety that was manifesting within her. There was so much pain and suffering there, but she didn't really have a choice and besides, she would rather be somewhere she was familiar with. You're more than welcome to stay with me and Gail for as long as you like, he offered. And although Gail hadn't been so thoughtful as to invite Sydney herself, Dewey knew that she would want him to express the invite. I appreciate it, Dewey, but I'm okay where I am, Sydney reassured him. As much as the trio had been through hell and back together, there was a strange relationship between all three. They knew one another so well, but also knew very little about one another at the same time. Well, you know where I am. Call if you need anything at all. I'll be on shift anyway every so often. We've got four officers on shift patterns around the property for the next week, he explained. Sydney realised that the expression of suspicion and wariness had been clear because Dewey quickly continued. It's nothing to worry about, but with the press still sniffing around and whatnot, we thought it best to keep you as protected as possible. That made sense to her then, and the suspicion was quenched. Thanks, Dewey. No worries, Sid. Do you want some help with your bag? He asked politely, already turning his key from the ignition. It's fine. Thanks, Dewey. Honestly, though, there'll be nothing around in the house. I can't even offer you a coffee for your trouble, she chuckled. Dewey shrugs dismissively. At least help me, let me help you with your bag. Besides, you'll want the new keys. Bert picked them up next, yesterday. He stepped out of the car and stretched, taking a deep breath and inhaling the fresh forest pine. Not willing to argue any more on the matter, Sydney took the keys from him and the two began the walk up the old battered steps towards the front door. When Sydney unlocked the door, she was surprised to find that all the dust sheets had been placed over her dad's furniture had been removed, and although the place wasn't spotless, all the dust had been cleared and it looked like someone had stocked up the place with the basic necessities. You did this, Sydney asked. It wasn't actually me. Gail was the one who thought it would be best if we took all the sheets off and everything, Dewey replied, as to which Sydney raised her eyebrow, making him laugh. All right, maybe she heard over Hicks commenting that she was going to do it on a day off, then took the idea for herself. Now that made Sydney laugh. It sounded so much more like Gail that way. Well, tell her thank you from me. You can thank her yourself for tomorrow if you want. We were wondering if you wanted to come for dinner. I could pick you up. Upon seeing Sydney hesitate, Dewey awkwardly lifted his arm and squeezed Sydney's shoulder. Sid, I know how easy and how great it might seem to go back into that non-existent life, but being alone, trying to do this alone, just won't work. You know that deep down. Sydney silently cursed how well he read her. In all honesty, all she wanted to do was crawl under the closest rock and bury herself there until she was forced to come out of hiding. However, flickers of Kirby still echoed in her mind. She felt some sort of responsibility for her, and she couldn't let her down. Sure, dinner sounds great, she agreed, much to the relief of Dewey. Great, I was dreading going home and telling Kale that you'd said no. We all know who'd get it in the neck, he half-joked. After making plans to be picked up at six the next night, Sydney showed Dewey out before closing the door, locking it and sighing. Now Dewey had gone, an eerie silence swept over the whole house. It was as if her presence had settled a heavy blanket over of fear over the place. 
Gulping, Sydney tried to keep a hold of herself, pushing herself to a straighter position from the door. Don't be stupid, she muttered to herself, but as she took a step forward and released the brass door handle, she was conscious of how slick her hand was with sweat. As she took another step, her eyes pulled focus to the door on the right. If you hang up on me, you'll die just like your mother. Do you want to die, Sydney? Your mother sure didn't. Jumping back as if the memory itself had hit her full force in the chest, Sydney froze in place, her eyes not strained from that cupboard door. Those few seconds where she had turned her back to place the lock on the door had almost killed her. It had been the first time she'd seen that costume, the dark, soulless eyes and the mouth fixed into a silent scream. It had haunted her day and night. It still did. Taking a moment to compose herself, Sydney slowly approached the door with trepidation. She knew that nothing was there. Why would anything be there? All the things she was trying, saying to try and keep herself together fell undone with that one memory of being chased up the stairs. With her hand closed upon the latch of the door now, Sydney counted to two and, not sure she would be able to stomach three, lurched forward and flung open the door. And she saw what she knew she would see. Nothing but some old coats and shoes that she had simply closed the door to rather than sorted out when she cleared her father's belongings from the house. Closing the door again, Sydney rested her forehead against the cool wooden panel, waiting for her heart rate to return to its usual state before she headed through to see the state of the rest of the house. As promised, Gail had seemingly looked into anything more than a light dust around, and Sydney couldn't help but chuckle to herself, as she knew that it would have killed her not to go snooping. It was harrowing to say the least, heading back into her old bedroom. However, it didn't feel right being anywhere else. It didn't look much more different than when she had packed up her things to go to college. The room was still decorated how she'd left it. Her bedsheets were folded on the top. Another touch she assumed belonged to Gail. She busied herself by putting the sheets on the bed and unpacking her bag. She had almost settled, almost regained what control when it was shattered. Then it came. The unmistakable crashing of glass that she had heard so many times previously. Sydney was paralysed with fear. That first hot flush of pure terror running through her before adrenaline took hold. Sydney picked up the first thing she could find to use as a weapon. Being in her bedroom meant she had limited options, but retrieving a pair of nail scissors from her hospital bag, she slowly made her way outside and onto the landing. She didn't want to alert anyone to her presence, so chose to remain silent instead of calling out. If there was someone in her house, it was an even playing field now. Reaching to her behind pocket, Sydney felt for her phone, silently cursing when she realised she'd left it on the kitchen side while talking to Dewey. She was quickly running out of options, so listened instead to try and gauge what was going on. It was definitely quiet in the house, and Sydney felt that was and Sydney felt that was almost as terrifying as hearing someone walking around. After a few minutes, she braced herself and made a slow descent down the stairs, purposely avoiding the creaks that she knew were there at certain points of the steps. Hiding behind the near panel wall, Sydney used a reflection from the mirror in the hallway to check out the kitchen. That was her best bet of finding a better weapon and her phone. After obtaining both, she sent a quick text to Dewey before pulling a large steel knife from the chopping block and going to check the remainder of the bottom floor, trying to decipher where the glass shattering had come from. And soon she found out. Once she had cautiously headed to the living room, Sydney had almost immediately noticed the photo frame lying on the hardwood floor. Although it explained the noise, her eyes automatically glanced around for the reason that it fell. The slightly ajar window on the hatch told her that she needed to know. It was just the wind. There was no way that anyone would have been able to fit that through that small space, especially so stealthily and silently. 
Sydney nearly jumped out of her skin when she felt the vibration in her back pocket and quickly reached out and pulled the phone to her ear. Sid, where are you? I'm five minutes away. Dewey's voice was urgent and Sydney felt a pang of guilt as she walked forward towards the broken glass, avoiding the shards as she picked up the face-down frame by its stand. Sorry, Dewey, it's just a photo frame that smashed. You don't need to... She paused as she flipped the frame around. She had already been anticipating seeing the photo of herself and her mother with their arms wrapped around one another. It was the very same photo she had back home. The silence didn't come from the photo itself. It's what someone had done to it. The photo itself had four deep crosses scratched roughly into it, two crosses scratching out her mother's eyes and two scratches crossing out Sydney's. Ooh. I feel like I stopped that at such a good place. Okay, so that was the first five chapters of From Death Itself. Now, if people were interested in reading the rest of it, it is on Wattpad. I can post the link. And I'm sorry it's not Halloween, the return of Michael Myers, and you've had to listen to me for a full hour. But uh, you didn't have to listen to this. Oliver will be back this week. You'll be happy to know. And so we'll hear his dulcet tones again. But I hope you enjoyed it. I will see you next Monday. See you later.